And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me, as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. I can assure you I'm not a cat, and I'm prepared yeah. to move forward with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like, I'm here alive. I'm not a cat. <laughs> he goes, I can see that. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty funny. He's got that those probably, sad eyes. That's so great. Yeah, that was probably the funniest video I've seen on the internet in a very long time. And uh, I just thought it was perfect because, I mean, that summed up all of our frustration with Zoom calls and everything where you just can't figure it out. And <laughs> just the eyes are moving back and forth. <laughs> it's so great. So ridiculous. <laughs> Fucking Zoom. I swear to God. So I'm on like video conferencing all day, every day. I'm doing live streams, doing this, doing that. But every once in a while, Zoom is just a pain in the ass. And like, audio doesn't work or someone just can't get in or the link is broken or whatever. It's always some bullshit reason for that program just not to work. And, and I don't understand why I only have that problem with zoom and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. That company was not prepared for the, the jump in, in a consumer base that they had, you know, at the start of pandemic, sure. they, uh, they were not ready for it. So, Oh, well, yeah. this is not the zoom podcast. Kind of is. We're doing a we're little fun video that. thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not even looking at you. I got, I'm looking at notes. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <see you. laughs> Look at how pretty you are with your little glasses. But, yeah. Uh, it started, yeah, it started snowing today in Seattle, finally. So. Pass. I know. <laughs> anyway, Fuck sorry. That. Neither here nor there. <laughs> no, neither of those. What have you been watching lately? Uh, Yeah, so you've seen The Outsider, right? On yeah, HBO. yeah, with Ben Mendelsohn. Love that yeah. show. Yeah, dude. So... I was just talking about it the other day on, on Geek Legacy, I think. Oh, uh, I had a friend who recommended it to me, and I was like, yeah, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. Well, I finally got to it, and I was blown away. I thought it was so good. I absolutely loved it. I, I watched it, like, I binge-watched it. So in about three days, I finished the entire ten episodes. And it's long, but uh, it was fantastic. I was very excited. Cynthia Revo is amazing as Holly in it. And I think it's such a good show. So, yeah, very, very, very happy I did that one. I watched Coming to America and I, I was laughing. I watched Daddy Daycare because I was on an Eddie Murphy kick. You know, the natural the natural uh, uh, transgression, I guess you would say. And then um, I watched Jack with Robin Williams for some reason. It was just on stars, I think. Um, <laughs> excuse sure, me. Sure. Uh, oh, I watched Doctor Sleep. It is the sequel follow up to The Shining. And I really enjoyed that a lot. I'm a big fan of The Shining, and I think this was a very, very adequate uh, sequel. It was terrifying at times, too. The the bad guys, they were there were some bad people. But yeah. And then I watched uh, just keep South Park on in the background. It's scary how topical uh, episodes from 2014 are today. It's pretty crazy. And then I watched <laughs> Alien versus Predator. Um, I don't know why I put it on. I think I was drunk one night and I put it on an HBO Max and I had to finish it. It is so goddamn awful, Justin. I mean, I like some of it, but oh, man, man, I love it's that bad. 
Oh, it's so bad when when she gets the helmet and then like the the tail as the spear and they run off together. I was I was laughing so hard. I was like, this oh, is so I bad. It. It's so bad. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Just uh, yeah. that's uh, it's done by the guy. It's done by the guy that did uh, the Resident Evil movies. Yeah. Paul W.S. Anderson. Uh, Not to Andrew be confused Anderson. with Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson. <laughs> he also did. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he also did Event Horizon. So. Oh really? That's him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh wow. That's probably my favorite of his then. Yeah, I agree. More you but, know. Yeah, and then just some uh, Ghost How Recon break, Breakpoint, but that's it. Cool. You know, uh, you mentioned Doctor Sleep, and I listened to this podcast with uh, Mike Flanagan, uh, the guy that wrote and directed it, and he had finished the screenplay and he sent it off to Stephen King, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll get right on it." And then, like two weeks goes by, and he's like. Fuck, he must have hated it. <laughs> but he's like, no, no, no. My, my son was graduating or my grandson was graduating college. And and I I was just, you know, out of town and busy. I'm sorry. And he read it and he loved it. So, yeah, that's got to be a, an incredible feeling to to look up to a, an author and write work based on their work. And then them actually genuinely enjoy it and love it. That I can't imagine what regardless of what the fans of the movie think uh it doesn't matter anymore because you know the guy that wrote the source material is on board right and uh stephen king wrote dr sleep as a basically fuck you to stanley kubrick because famously he was upset with how kubrick uh, treated his adaptation in 1980 and so he wrote the book kind of like as a middle finger to him but he takes a lot of the elements of kubrick's film into his book and it's uh it's interesting i mean he finally acquiesced and he was like you know what this this was a really good adaptation but uh flanagan paid homage like shot for shot uh in dr sleep he paid homage to the shining it was pretty remarkable to see like once you get to the overlook hotel which is kind of the spoiler kind of not it's uh pretty pretty awesome how many callbacks there were and they weren't like the member berries where it's hitting you over the head it was just very well done so i really like this movie it's long though it's like two and a half hours it was a long one so but uh yeah anyways that's all i watched man i'm sorry that was a long one what about you no that's fine that's fine uh not a whole lot i did uh, last week I was talking about Babylon Five, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's all diverse. It's amazing." The very next episode was just like the sea of white, and I was like, "God damn it!" I literally just said how diverse this show was. Like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Son of a bitch!" I'm alive, and uh, it made, it made me laugh in a way, but I was really disappointed because I was just like, "Fuck!" I thought I remember this being a lot more diverse, but like all the uh, the people that were in like the pilot and stuff, they uh, they don't exist anymore. They went on to the other assignments and. So it shook things up a bit, but um, either way, still enjoying the show. I just couldn't believe that literally the next episode is just completely different. I was just like, son of a bitch, I'm a liar. And then uh, like you've been playing Ghost Recon Breakpoint, um, having a blast with that. I'm playing it twice, kind of double dipping, playing on my PC, playing on Xbox. So doing a lot of the same stuff, but that's okay. (laughs) I'm okay with it. I'm having a good time. I got my cowboy hat on and I'm rocking and rolling. I watched the, uh, I had a Harry Potter marathon. My aunt, she was staying with us. She's special needs and she really enjoys Harry Potter. So we plowed through all eight films and uh, I was having a good time. Uh, she oh, was yeah. like, <laughs> she was like, how come he doesn't have his wand? I'm like, oh, he left it on the charger. <laughs> just saying stuff like that. Yeah. She was like, oh yeah, okay. It was great. And then oh. like, um, 
when McGonagall uh, goes out onto the bridge and she does the cast a spell for the statues to defend them from Voldemort's mm-hmm. attack. I was like, huckety puckety wackety whack <laughs> statues, please protect us from this attack. <laughs> so I was having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. I love Harry yeah. Potter. I love doing the marathons of that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. We went in an interesting order, though. We started at five and ended at four. What? So we did five, <laughs> six, and seven, and eight, and then one, two, three, and four. Well, because she had just watched. Is this Star Wars? <laughs> Are you watching? I know. Well, she had just watched four. Uh-oh. And so I was like, okay, well, we can just pick up right where you left off. But then she was like, so gaga over it that we just started over again. Cool. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, yeah. Any Harry Potter is good Harry Potter to me. So, not me. Sure, I enjoy it. Damn. Yeah. Not me. Not Hermione. You. <laughs> I like that. So and then he gets stabbed by the <laughs> by the king or whatever. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. When the queen takes me, yeah, you'll check the king or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> so ridiculous. Anyway. So, this week we're going to be doing a cowboy movie. We haven't done a Western in a while. I feel like the only other Western we've done was Tombstone. That could be incorrect. Uh, I don't know. Cow- Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> no, I'm just I kidding. I don't know. That. No, we didn't. Uh, Tombstone is probably one of the only ones. We talk about Django all the time on this podcast. But uh, yeah, I, yes. think, I think Tombstone might be one of the only Westerns. And Hateful Eight. Yeah. We talk, I know all we right. do talk about That's those fair. a lot. <laughs> The president. I think the first like eighteen podcasts we said the president. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. Uh, So we're doing three ten to Yuma there, and we are doing the two thousand and seven version, not to be confused with the nineteen fifty seven version that this is a remake of. Directed by James Mangold, who you might know from Copland, which is a freaking awesome movie, and I would love to do that on this show one day. Uh, Walk the line. Logan and Ford versus Ferrari. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's freaking awesome. Whether you're a race fan or not, I think you will really, really enjoy it. Race wars. <laughs> yeah, race wars. <laughs> shit. And it's hard to let go, huh? It's fun to say. It's terrible, but holy shit. That's furious. They were, they were uh, you know, drawing a line and, and then crossing it with the race wars. <laughs> it's bad stuff. Oh, so boy. the film, 310 to Yuma by way of Choo Choo, is uh, written by Michael Brandt and Derek Haas. Uh, They wrote this version. The original screenplay was actually written by Halstead Wells, which was based on the story by Elmore Leonard, who also wrote Get Shorty, Rum Punch, um, a.k.a. Jackie Brown, Out of Sight, and Justified, to name a few. Uh, The film stars Russell Crowe, which is great, Christian Bale, then you got Luden Loden Logan Lerman. <laughs> Luden Logan Lerman Lerman. <laughs> Give got... it to me, baby. <laughs> I can't see that name without saying that. And that's that's it's not a joke. I, I just saw the name and I immediately was triggered to, to Luden Loden Logan Lerman. <laughs> and all the girlies say anyway. pretty flat for a white guy. <laughs> yeah. I am a uh, delicate flower. Special little snowflake. Dallas Roberts, Ben Foster, uh, Alan Tudyk, Vanessa Schott. Now, this is, we did another movie with her. Uh, Hills Have Eyes. She's in that, too. Vanessa Shaw. And then Gretchen Mull. Who, we did round, Rounders, she too. Would, Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. She played, uh, I forgot her name in Rounders, but she was the girlfriend yeah. that left Matt Damon. Yeah. Gretchen Moll was. Yeah. Yeah. She was also in that um, Boardwalk Empire show. Oh, I didn't watch that. Watch I heard that. it's good though, right? Yeah. I watched the first three seasons and then the guy I liked, he didn't, he didn't make it to four seasons. <laughs> so I was just like, eh, whatever. Fuck it. I'm done with it. I, I could quit this show. I, I never knew how to quit a show until David Edmondson taught me how to do that. This is weird. I was yeah. like, I can't quit you. And then, and now I can. So that's great. Let's see here. Critical reception. Are you ready for this? Have you seen this? You heard about this? Yeah. This movie's actually, I uh, did pretty well. It is, oh my gosh, get out of here. Ad blocker. Let's see here. Uh, 310 to Yuma scored a whopping 89% on the old tomato meter there, which is pretty goddamn good. It's 86% from the audience. So the audience enjoys this cowboy flick. Must be that uh, Luke Wilson cameo. <laughs> yeah, there everybody go. over. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see here. Deborah Ross from The Spectator. She's not a fan. Both dull and deeply unnecessary. A stinker, she says. I don't know about all that. Then you have Michael Compton from Bowling Green Daily News. A solid, gritty drama getting the most out of its star power. Yeah. Not too shabby. Oh, here, here's a fun one. I don't know if this one aged well, but uh, Richard Propes from TheIndependentCritic.com says, 2007 may very well be the year when the Western comes riding back into town. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about all that. There was uh, that other movie, Appaloosa. Was that 2007? Uh, I don't know what that is. That's the one with the Ed Harris there and the oh yeah and the and the Aragorn. Viggo oh yeah. I don't know when that was. That might have been a little bit later, but uh, maybe he was under the impression 310 to Yuma was going to start the trend to bring the Western back. And while. I don't particularly know too many Western films that I actually thoroughly enjoy and would love to just watch on a daily basis. <laughs> there are a couple that stick with me. And um, two of them just happen to be by the same director. Who knew? I mean, that's a Hateful Eight and Django. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting genre. And one that I am not keen on revisiting too often. <laughs> but... There you have it. Uh, the budget was $55 million. Opening weekend, it did $14 million, and that was on September 7th of 2007. In the United States, it grows $53.6 million, and then worldwide, you're looking at $70 million. So, I don't consider that too much of a success, but considering it is a Western, that's probably not terrible. Yeah, I agree. Um, cool. Fun fact time. All right. So, uh, warned about the pain of surgery, Byron McElroy, who was Peter Fonda, tells Doc Potter, who was Alan Tudyk, that it's not the first time he's been shot. In real life, Peter Fonda accidentally shot himself in the stomach when he was 10. Oh, Jesus. Yikes. <laughs> it's like when you're playing with a sword and you cut your leg or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Civil War outfit Dan Evans referred to as serving with his, I'm sorry, referred to as serving with was a real outfit. The second company of Massachusetts, Massachusetts sharpshooters was indeed formed in Linfield, Massachusetts. They were at Gettysburg and have their monument in an area of the battlefield called the Loop. 
The unfinished buildings that Wade and Evans run through in the climactic shootout were originally supposed to be fully finished, but production ran too low on money to have them completed. The film's ending is vastly different from three. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Wait, real quick. I'm sorry. Um, the unfinished buildings. I actually like that because I, th- I thought it was like the town is growing and they're in the middle of construction. <laughs> right. When I read that little thought, because as I was watching the movie, I was like, well, it's kind of cool that they got like unfinished buildings like this. This this town is booming. Like things are happening. We're going to have a thriving metropolis here. Oh, and towards the, then towards I read the end? that trivia and I'm like, yeah. Oh, and OK. Then, yeah, because yeah. like they run like uh, he's trying to get him to the station and there's all these like lumber, like brand new, yeah. like lumber that's just look you see like foundations of houses and sort of frameworks and uh and i thought that was kind of cool but then when i read that trivia i was like well that kind of takes the magic out of it. <laughs> that's that's pretty fun then yeah. Huh. Yeah. i hate how fake hollywood is <clears throat> god damn it so vapid the film's ending is vastly different from 310 to Yuma from 1957. Uh, in that adaptation, it was Evans' wife that accompanies him and Wade, not his son. Also in that adaptation, Wade and Evans successfully board the train after shooting down the other outlaws. Whereas in this version, spoiler, 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 Evans is fatally shot by the outlaws, whom Wade executes in retaliation. Wade gets on the train but whistles for his horse shortly after sitting down. If you start watching the movie at 1.19 p.m., the train will arrive at 3.10 p.m. in real life. How about that? <laughs> Someone actually thought of that. <laughs> That's neat. <laughs> sure. Oh, boy. In real time. Not in real life. You won't have a train show up outside your house. No. <clears throat> in real life. No. Sorry. I meant in real time. All right, well, here's a synopsis if you have not seen this movie, but in 1884, Arizona, Dan Evans is an impoverished rancher and Civil War veteran who owes money to the wealthy Glenn Hollander, Mr. Holland's opus. One night, two of Hollander's men set fire to his barn and scared off his cattle, warning that his house will be next if he fails to pay his debts. The next morning, as Evans and his two sons, William and Mark, look for their lost herd, they stumble upon outlaw Ben Wade and his gang, who have used Evans' cattle to block the road and ambush an armored stagecoach staffed by Pinkerton agents. As Wade's outfit loots the upended stage, Wade discovers Evans and his son, his two sons watching from the hills. Determined that they pose no threat to him and his gang, Wade takes their horses and tells Evans that he will leave them tied up on the road to Bisbee. Wade's gang departs, and Evans rescues the lone surviving coach guard, Byron McElroy, left alive but severely wounded by Wade. Wade travels with his gang to Bisbee to celebrate the local salo- celebrate at the local saloon and divide up the loot, then chooses to stay behind to enjoy the company of the barmaid while he, he his gang departs. Evans arrives separately with McElroy and delivers his him to lawman Doc Potter before trying to in vain to negotiate with Hollander, who shoves him to the ground and departs. Enraged, Evans barges into the saloon looking for him, but instead encounters Wade emerging from an upstairs room. Evans coaxes a few dollars from Wade over the trouble the outlaw has caused him, delaying the outlaw long enough for the railroad men to ambush and arrest him. The railroad's representatives, Grayson Butterfield, enlists McElroy, Potter, Tucker, one of Hollander's men, and Evans to deliver Wade to contention, where Wade will be put on the 310 afternoon train to Yuma Territorial Prison. Evans requests a $200 fee, equivalent to about $5,300 in 2019, to deliver Wade for transport, which Butterfield accepts. From Evans' ranch, McElroy arranges for a decoy wagon driven by the town marshal to distract Wade's gang, now led by Charlie Prince, with the real prisoner transporting transport departing later that night. During the journey, both Tucker and McElroy provoke Wade, 
He stabs Tucker to death and throws McElroy off a cliff. Wade attempts to escape, but is stopped when William appears, having followed the group all the way from the ranch. When the group is ambushed by Apaches, Wade uses the confusion to flee into a Chinese laborer construction camp, where the foreman captures him. Evans, William, Potter, and Butterfield arrive to regain custody of their prisoner, but the foreman reveals that he has lost his brother to one of Wade's robberies and intends to torture the outlaw to death. A gunfight breaks out between the group and the foreman's posse. The group manages to escape with Wade, but Potter is killed in the process. The rest of the group arrives in contention hours before the train's arrival and checks into a hotel where where several local marshals join them. Wade's gang members ambush the decoy wagon, killing Marshal Weathers and interrogating the lone survivor before killing him and departing for contention. Upon arrival, Prince offers a $200 cash reward to any civilian who help rescue Wade. Numerous men volunteer, causing the town's marshal to uh, desert immediately. Wade's men kill them when they try to surrender. Butterfield resigns as well, but agrees to keep William safe at uh, Evans' behest. Evans agrees to deliver Wade to the prison train in exchange for Butterfield, paying his family all the fees promised to the former members of the group and to persuade Hollander to leave his family alone. Evans escorts Wade out of the hotel, and the two make their way across town, evading continuous gunfire from the gang and the townsmen. Wade surprises Evans and nearly strangles him, but relents when Evans reveals that delivering Wade to the train is not only to provide for his family, but to restore his own sense of honor and give his son something good to remember him for. Wade then admits he has already been to Yuma prison and escaped twice and agrees to board the train, allowing Evans' contract to be fulfilled. Wade helps Evan evade his gang as he finally boards the train, congratulates Evans on his efforts. Prince appears and shoots Evans despite Wade's order to stop. Wade steps off the train, comforting Evans in his final moments. When Prince returns his gun bell, Wade abruptly executes Prince along with the rest of his gang. William appears and draws his gun on Wade but does not kill him, instead turning to his dying father. Wade boards the train and politely surrenders his weapon. Evans dies as William tells him he accomplished his mission and got the money. Butterfield watches the train depart with Wade on it. As the train disappears around a bend, Wade whistles and his faithful horse picks up his ears and gallops after the train, indicating that Wade is already planning his next escape. Go see 310 Yuma. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Catch a ride on the choo-choo. It'll be great. Yuma, a lot lot going on. Nick Papa Giorgio's from Yuma. (laughs) That's right. Got a wife and kids back here. Where he sells software. (laughs) No corrective lenses? I do not require them. (laughs) Require them. (laughs) Put a dollar and I got a car. Put a dollar and I got a car. Put a dollar and I got a car. (laughs) (laughs) That movie's great. Mm. I just watched the the remake of it, of of just the regular vacation, like the sequel, I guess you can call it. It's kind of like a reboot. With Ed Helms. I had seen it before. And it's really funny. I like it. I like the two brothers and how they're just so mean. He's such an asshole to him. (laughs) That little brother. He's such an asshole. When he puts the plastic bag bag on his face. (laughs) So funny. Holy shit. I couldn't stop laughing. I thought it was great. I wish I had a brother. I'm so jealous. Makes me sad I don't. Anyway. So. When did you first see 310 to Yuma? And at the time, did you know it was a remake from the 1957 film? Um, so it came out, came out in 2007. So yeah, probably about 2007 is when I saw it. Uh, I, I saw it in theaters. I remember I was dating this girl at the time and her grandpa was like really excited. He's like, oh, I can't wait to go see it. Shoot him up. Bang, bang. Because he 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 was a Western fan. 
So we went and saw it. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. Uh, I wasn't blown away. I, I knew who Christian Bale was. I definitely knew who Russell Crowe was because Gladiator was like my favorite movie at the time. But um, I wasn't blown away. I, I liked it, you know. But yeah. It, it, Why'd I, you that make was, me watch it? <laughs> it's well, just like mediocre. Well, so that was uh, the first time I saw it. And then it has been. <laughs> oh, it <okay>. has been. <laughs> quite a, quite a while since I've seen it and I watched it the other day and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot more than I enjoyed it when I saw it in theaters uh, for a lot of different reasons, but we will get into that. I did not know it was a remake, though. Oh, okay. Did you just find that out today? No, I knew it was a remake uh, before. I'm just saying I didn't know it was a remake back in Ot 7. Was I was not aware of that. Understood. But, yeah. When did you see it? Gotcha. I saw it in a theater in 2007. And I hadn't seen it since uh, until I watched it on Tuesday. Okay. That was my first time revisiting. But I remembered everything, which means I must have liked it because there wasn't a single part where I was like, what's going to happen next? <laughs> I literally remembered everything that was going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, so I, that says something. I must have been pretty engaged when I saw it uh, back in 2007, but. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward story, too. You know, it's nothing overly complicated. It It is a it's a an interesting tale. Now, are you a fan of Westerns or are they a tough sell for you? Uh, I mean, they used to be a tough sell for me. I I never really cared for them. I thought that they were for old people until I took a, a film class at uh, community college and we watched Unforgiven online and <laughs> University <laughs> yeah. of Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. University of Yuma. But uh, I definitely I definitely enjoyed Unforgiven a lot. And then I started realizing there were a ton more Westerns out there. Uh, I still haven't seen as many as I probably should, but I definitely enjoy them more now because of how unconventional they can be, where the old movies of maybe John Wayne or, you know, the John Ford films they're pretty cut and dry about like who's the hero, who's the bad guy. But when you get into movies like the wild bunch, I mean, that movie is really long and it can be really slow and boring at times, but goddamn, that final, that final like 20 or 30 minutes is, is incredible. And it's crazy. Cause you're like, why am I rooting for the bad guys? You shouldn't, you know, all of your, your understanding of Western films, you shouldn't be rooting for these bad guys, but you do. And it's about honor and doing the right thing. So um, I, I saw a lot of that in 310 to Yuma. I've seen that in other uh, Western films, but yeah, it's maybe a big reason why I liked uh, Red Dead Redemption a lot, too. Yeah, I think Red Dead Redemption is unique, though, because you have a, m- a much longer time to get to know the hero and understand what they're going through. And you sort of grow with that character, whereas uh, uh, most Westerns tend to be, you know, two hours or less you don't really get that luxury. It's more of a, it's a, you see it and fucking high noon and then there's a shootout <laughs> and then it's over and done with. <laughs> there you so go. So it gets a little, it gets a little tricky to pull that off. Unless it's yeah. like a Kevin Costner movie, then you got three hours to fall in love with the character. <laughs> He's seen dry land. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> That's how they do. Um, now, do you have a, a top five of Western films? Uh, sure. It's funny. I actually, when I read that question, I thought you said, can you guess the top five Western films of all time? So I was like really trying to think of these ones that I've never seen. But for me, my personal top five is probably Tombstone, um, Unforgiven, 
uh, Django Unchained, 310 to Yuma, so this one, and then True Grit, the one with Je- the remake with Jeff Bridges and Matt Damon and Josh Brolin. And <laughs> I Haley do Steinfeld. not know this man. <laughs> I do not know this man. Yeah. You're not LaBeef. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Yeah, I hate the end when he's like when he's like stabbing the horse to fucking ride faster. I hate that. I at know. The end. Uh, yeah, it sucks. I know. But it's still a good movie. I still really enjoy it a lot. And Haley Steinfeld was awesome in it. So, but yeah, I don't know. Do you have a top five? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I, I would say Tombstone is probably my favorite, but I really enjoy uh, Django and and Hateful Eight, the Young Guns movie. I love Young Guns and Young Guns Two. Uh, Silverado, Silverado is fucking awesome. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but we've, it we've talked incredible. about it before. Yeah, we've talked about it before. And I love it. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying, I, I don't, I don't know if you've seen it or not. So I'm just, I love it. Um, yeah, we've talked about it, but I have no idea what the answer was on whether or not you've seen it. Young Guns is on Stars. I should watch that. Spirit World. <laughs> Um, yeah, so those ones are pretty good. Um, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's others, but none that are really ringing any bells. Uh, I did watch, uh, Bone Tomahawk a couple mm-hmm. years ago. I, I, it was kind of, I had a fever and I was having like fever dreams. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't really remember much of it. I was coming and going and it was kind of off-putting yeah, it was a very unsettling movie <laughs> jeez man yeah have you seen bone tomahawk no i heard it's pretty violent though yeah it's uh it gets pretty rough just like cannibals and shit and Ugh. it's uh it's brutal yeah i don't know about all that so. yeah i know especially when you're sick holy shit <laughs> i was like what is happening right now is he really eating that guy because i don't I need more pills. <laughs> <laughs> pills are good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, no joke. I was really sick. And uh, whew, it was bad news bears. Now, when you see two A-listers in a movie, sorry, in opposites of each other, is it hard for you to accept them in their roles? Like in this case, we have Christian Bale uh, and Russell Crowe. Or were you were you all in? Are they good enough to where you just accept that they are Ben Wade and, and not Ben Wade? <laughs> I forget what his name is. Uh, Evans, Dan Evans. Dan name? Evans. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I was all in. I, I think that they're such awesome actors and they really can do a variety of roles. So I was I was sold on it. I mean, we've seen them both play villains, uh, but I do think that Russell Crowe is a really good bad guy. So I'm glad that he was kind of this anti-hero bad guy where he did have some good in him, but, you know, he... Oh, the Rizzo. but he uh he definitely was yeah. he definitely they definitely fed off of each other and and yeah it worked for me um i'm i'm that never turns me away from watching a film like this and yeah i don't know i think that they uh they were good together man yeah you know it's interesting you use the term anti-hero because last week rizzo calm down <laughs> um last week we were watching nightcrawler and you had, I felt like you were trying to argue that Jake Gyllenhaal's character was an anti-hero, but I don't see it. I just see him as a bad man. And uh, whereas in this case, I feel like Ben Wade, uh, you know, he's done bad things, but I think he's made interesting choices, but I don't think that he is a terrible human being. 
And and that's comparing two people in two different roles where they both killed other humans. But there was something about the way that uh, Ben Wade's character presented himself. You know, uh, you know, they both were polite. You had argued that Jake Gyllenhaal, his character, was his name Lou? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that Lou was polite and had manners and things of that nature. And I think that Ben Wade did as well. I was actually genuinely rooting for Ben Wade to not go to jail. Right. And I, I think that it's interesting because the arguments that I was making what for in the movie Nightcrawler was there was nothing redeeming about uh, Lou. Whereas in this movie, I think that there are very much redeeming qualities for Ben Wade. And it almost was like he wanted out of that life anyway. He wasn't doing much of the killing. He wasn't doing the robbing. He was just had a gang, you know, mm-hmm. and he was more interested in other things. He was drawing, you know, he wanted to spend time with this lady and he knew that he had a, he was running with a, a weird crowd and a rough crowd and maybe they were bringing out the worst in him. And perhaps if he was no longer with them, he would be doing something else. Right. And he saw Charlie was pretty, pretty awful. Charlie was like the Lou of the group, Ben Foster's right. character. I mean, he he knew he was like, Ooh, what did I do? I have this guy. Yeah. Who's, who's a little me crazy. Out of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're, you're at like a you're at like a nine. I need you at like a three. So yeah, um, it down, I mean, Buster. yeah and, sure. and just to, to, to clarify, uh, I don't think that Lou is a good person. I just was trying to present it in a way of I was intrigued to see how his story was going because he wasn't so repulsive the entire film where I was just like, oh, I can't I can't keep watching this. He definitely was repulsive, but he had these redeeming qualities where you're kind of like, I hate him, but I kind of want to see what happens. It's like a car crash, right? When you can't look away. Mm-hmm. But with Russell Crowe, I mean, granted, they're two two different genres. I agree with you with everything you said. I was rooting for him because he has moments where he could have killed the entire um, uh, group when the Apaches were were shooting, or he could have left. And you know, he saved them. He didn't have to save them, but I mean, that's the right thing to do. That's the noble thing to do, probably. So, and I mean, that scene with him and Byron when, when they're talking and he says, you know, Pinkertons aren't really any different than I am. He, Byron killed 30 people, like women and children included. And Byron's just kind of like, yep, I had to do it sort of thing. It's different times, man. But like he was awful. It's just one thing is he's getting paid to do this and he's he's on the side of of the law. So they're the exact same person except right. two, two different job. sides. Exactly. So that's uh, it's pretty pretty interesting the the wild wild west. Yeah, I th- I'm glad I'm not a part of it. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, uh, I was born at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> I got the '80s, man. Jeez. Now Dan Evans says something to the effect of, "You know, killing a man and wishing him dead are two different things." Do you agree with that? Are you a less terrible person for only wishing someone dead rather than killing them as well? I mean, it depends on <clears throat> how hyperbolic he was being. I don't think he actually wanted Tucker dead. Like, I don't think he was like bang in the head. I want him dead. Uh, but, you know, I mean, sometimes there are some pretty evil people that deserve death. And I'm I'm not I'm not saying that <clears throat> I could ever kill anybody. Uh, but I'm saying and I'm not saying Dan Evans thinks that Tucker needed to be killed. It's just like he, you know, what if he took a long walk off a short cliff or something like that? He'd be like, oops, you know, at least my barn's right. not burning down anymore. I don't think he would shed a tear if he he went away. Um, 
And I mean, I honestly can say that for some pretty evil people, but I don't wish death upon really anybody. So it's uh, pretty hardcore. So I don't know. I mean, that guy was just an asshole. And so I don't think Dan truly wanted him killed. And Dan is, I mean, we're under the assumption Dan has killed, but I'm actually intrigued by this now because at the end of it, when he's like, you know, I, I lost my leg retreating. Do you think he actually killed anybody in his life other than on this, you know, this little bandit or what outfit of, uh, of, uh, people like, do you think he killed anybody? I don't know because he's a, he's a sniper. So like, I feel like it's, it might even be a different sort of perception of death because he's just shooting dots in the distance as opposed right. to being in a gun. I mean, I've never shot a human being. I've never killed a man. I've never hurt another human being aside from Chris in high school when I stabbed his leg in that story that I shared. But um, I, I don't know, but I feel like there, I feel like history has taught us in movies that it's different when you're a, someone that's just, shooting someone from like a tower or a bunker where you're just shooting dots on a beach kind of thing versus being in a straight up gunfight yeah. five feet or stabbing somebody or something like that. Super well, obviously intimate. I can't speak to it cause I've never done it, but they both sound horrible and I'd probably <laughs> yeah. puke all over my gun if I did it. But um, that yeah. is the impression that I was given. Is that why you puke whenever you play a ghost recon? <laughs> yeah. All day long. Just, wah! <laughs> I was I was trying to find a quote and I can't and it's driving me nuts. But yeah, you had said something to the effect of, you know, maybe he didn't mean it or uh, you know he wasn't genuine in saying that way. And um, I forget the exact words that you used, but I, I saw something today that intrigued me. Where it was, it was this sort of vegan tweet where it was like, uh, how can someone? you know, do these to animals, right? And this shows like a picture of someone working in a slaughterhouse with like this bloody apron from like Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of thing. And uh, and then it shows, well, what do you say about the people that employ them? And it shows this couple out to dinner eating like a steak dinner kind of thing. And, you know, there's no, there's no graphic violence of any kind. It was just this imagery of a guy with a, with a bloody apron that does something gross for a living. And then it shows... The, the everyman will say, you know, like just normal people sitting down, not giving it a second thought who are giving them the job by eating these steaks and stuff. And so it, it hit me pretty hard. I like woke up to that. It was like seven in the morning. I'm like, oh, man, that's it's kind of profound. Jeez. <laughs> and I'm not everyone will agree with it. And that's fine. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's I think it's a lot of the same argument. Like, you know, killing someone is different than wishing them dead. and I feel like, you know, one person is directly involved with the killing and the other person is just saying and doing and going on with their life. Right. And so it it, it kind of resonated with me. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. Interesting. Um, again, you're free to do whatever you want. You can you can wish someone dead. You can enjoy your steak dinner. It's it's fine. I'm OK with it. <laughs> I've come to terms with it. <laughs> um, I am not here to judge except about movies. Anyway, now, uh, near the end of the film, Dan opens up to Ben about being about not being stubborn. You know, explain the reason for being on the farm in the middle of the desert is for his youngest son and that he has tuberculosis. And then Ben's like, well, why are you telling me this? He's like, Dan simply replies, 
you know, I just wanted you to know I'm not stubborn. And it, it was important to him. Like that was kind of like eating at him. Like, you know, he doesn't even know me. How does he, why does he think this? Have you ever, excuse me, tried to correct someone's negative perception of you? And what was it? Yeah. Um, I mean, we had that conversation about that kid at target that you had and he said you were unapproachable because you know, you're a terrifying person. But <laughs> right. <laughs> How dumb is that? What did I say or do to this kid to make him feel that way? Correct. So that, that's exactly my point is we can't control everything. And I mean, I definitely have had people at target who thought that I was intimidating or unapproachable or they thought, x y and z and i'm just kind of like wait what like did you not see me just laughing over there with everybody and i you know i'm i'm always telling you hey my door is wide open uh so uh, that kind of stuff i mean definitely in the work job that's happened before uh but it's hard for me because like when i hear someone when i hear someone say like they don't like me or you know through the grapevine that someone doesn't like me it makes me want to kind of find a way to correct that no one likes to be disliked um it just, it's a bummer. And there's a point when you have to just say kind of fuck it, whatever, like, I don't care, but I'm still going to try to make people like me. Like it, it never feels good when they don't, you know, um, one person, I won't say where they worked, but I heard through a mutual friend of ours about a different friend that said that I was really cocky and full of myself. Uh, but luckily yours and mine mutual friend shut that down they're like what are you talking about no he's not and i was like thank you for standing up for me because i am not cocky i am so far from it i mean yeah i get confident and stuff but most of it's joking uh so that one you know that was something that i felt like i needed to go tell that person like hey this preconceived notion you have of me is not accurate <laughs> so if we were in a situation like this hunkering down at a train station and if i was with that person i would tell them hey you know what? I'm I'm not cocky. Like you think I am? <laughs> you go to but, home uh, with Starla every night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, good. Good. That's pretty good. Um, so I mean, yeah. And like, there was this one time specifically, and I can't remember the exact person, and I'd rather refrain from it if I knew them. But they told me they didn't like me because they had a dream about me and said I was being an asshole and that I stole their car. So they they didn't like they didn't like me from a dream. <laughs> From a dream. It was weird. But uh, I was like, whatever. I still tried to make it right. I'm like, well, you can sleep on this pillow. I don't know. Shit. But yeah, man. I uh, yeah. I get what Christian Bale was doing in that sense. Ben. I I forgot about that kid. I am curious if I said it. I mean, you said, you know, you you are cocky and maybe any joke. Maybe they came in as a joke and they didn't really, they, because they don't know you. They just interpreted that as you just being, you know, exactly. Like yeah, and everyone has a reason for for their beliefs and their views. And at the end of the day, you can't change everyone's opinion. Um, it it is what it is. I just uh, I try my best to to make everyone happy, but yeah, and it's exhausting, right? <laughs> oh my god, holy yeah. shit! <laughs> <laughs> I need a vacation. I am <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, hurts my face. <laughs> anyway, let's talk. About it. it does. It does. It genuinely hurts my face. Um, <laughs> I pull at it. I'm like, oh, uh, let's talk about Ben Foster. He's a, uh, he's a pretty great actor and I'm definitely scared of his character in this film. Uh, do you think he was sweet on Ben Wade or just sort of loyal uh, to the bitter end? 
Um, I feel like I he was kind of sweet on him. He might have been, but I think it was more this fascination of like this is this is Ben Wade. This is motherfucking Ben Wade, right? I think he was he was loyal. Yeah. You're talking to watch your mouth, Mister. You're talking <laughs> yeah. to Ben Wade. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Like he cherished the ground that he walked on. Uh, but I ultimately think that Charlie was kind of like a rabid dog, and at the very end, Ben knew he's like shit. I got to put him down because he was just out of control, man. And like he shot Dan Evans in the back. Uh, I don't know if Charlie has done that before. I'm sure he has, but that's pretty, pretty shitty to shoot him in the back. At least yell at him to turn around and shoot him in the chest. I mean, he shoots him in the chest later, but still, you know, uh, but Ben Foster in particular, he's, he's awesome. I mean, I've seen so many good roles from him, like so many good films where he played an excellent character, like hell or high water. That was really good. Alpha dog. Oh yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So fucking sad. And then, oh uh, yeah, alpha dog. He's the older brother. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Leave No Trace and then The Punisher. He plays one of the friends in The Punisher who doesn't tell. He had all the lip piercings and then they they tortured him and he still wouldn't give up any information. And uh, I like that a lot. I think that he it's was in like a, that. It's in the la, 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 la. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like all singing and cooking and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But he's, I mean, he, he's I so great. That movie. Yeah, he's an, he's an X-Men too. Yeah, I know. He's Angel. Three, Whoosh, I my wings. <laughs> so Yeah. <laughs> Did but. you see Pandorum? Oh, that yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Him and Cam Gigadent and uh, Dennis Quaid. And Dennis Quaid wants coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yes, I did. But I, I want to see more Ben Foster. Actually, it's funny. I was thinking about this, too, because Pedro Pascal uh, is now going to be Joel in The Last of Us. I was thinking Ben Foster would be a really good Joel. But I don't know. That's just me. He does. He does good in like kind of Western roles. Mm-hmm. I think. I feel like Dan Foster might be kind of a small guy, though. He's not that small, uh, you know, like a buck fifty. I don't know. He always looks so skinny and and small to me. He's pretty jacked in Alpha Dog and in uh, Hell or High Water. He's pretty strong too. I mean, there's there's a couple other roles where he got pretty jacked. Uh, I know. I'm I'm just saying he looks like he's like five six or something. Like he doesn't oh. look like a tall man. Is what I'm. I, I I said small, but I guess I should have said short or you know he is not tall. At least he's always opposite of someone that is much taller than him. Yeah. He might be like six foot, six one. It's not mm, too bad. Google it. <laughs> I don't think he's that tall. Google me, bitch. Yeah. Ben Foster height. Let's check the shelf. He's five nine. Wow. He is yeah. he is short. So. Mm-hmm. They could put yeah. some platform shoes on him. There you go. People wear them. I think Robert Downey Jr. wears them sometimes. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's tiny. What can you do? Height issues, see? So let's talk about the relationship between Dan and his son, William. I think it's pretty safe to say that William has about a nickel's worth of respect for his old man. Uh, did you pick up from the beginning that this was a story about a father and son, or did you feel it was more shoehorned in at the last minute? Uh, the first time... I, I picked up on it, but I, I really wasn't paying attention too much. Um, the second time, I definitely see how it, it was more about the fa- father-son dynamic. And James Mangold, he has that similar storyline in other films that he's done. So like Logan, you know, the the whole father-daughter storyline. Walk the Line, same, same kind of thing. Johnny Cash is trying to make his dad proud and, you know, the wrong kid died. Um, Ford v. Ferrari, where... <laughs> yeah. 
Ford V Ferrari, Christian Bale and his son. I mean, he's doing the same stuff too and trying to just make him happy and impress him. So I think it was, I think it was crucial to this movie to 310 to Yuma. It really kind of drove that plot of you. When, when Dan says at the end, like at the climax, you know, I just want my sons to be proud of me and to have honor and stuff. It all kind of makes sense. And you're like, Oh, okay. So that's why they emphasize so much about how, how much disrespect the, uh, his his son had for him and so it was nice to see them do things together like them evans boys up to trouble again so that was uh that was really neat i really enjoyed that part of the film but i didn't immediately pick up on it the first mm-hmm. time i saw it and you kind of answered one of my other questions down the road so i can skip that <laughs> oh i did now near the end yeah that's okay near the end of the film we learn the truth about dan's leg and how little self-respect he truly has for himself and he wants to regain his honor as a man dan even tells william you know i want you to remember your old man walked ben wade to the station when no one else would you know that's a defining moment have you ever been truly tested to where you know have you ever felt like you just weren't we'll say a man (laughs) so i guess uh first we should define what it means to you to be quote unquote a man and go from there. Um, Oh man, I'm not going to have the best definition, but I, I think, I think being a man is, is probably just like about doing what's right, regardless of the situation you're in. Uh, you could be alone in your home. It's about doing the right thing. You could be out in public on a bus. It's about doing the right thing at a grocery store, doing the right thing. Right? So like what is right is kind of what society and your ethics tell you is the correct path that you should be on. So, if you can take care of your priorities and finish what you started, I think that's what being a quote unquote man is about. It's 2021. So the term being a man is very outdated. Uh, I would say taking responsibility and doing the right thing is, is, is a better choice of words, but uh, just being humble about it too. I mean, uh, we do certain things because we have to, not because we want to. It's just, you know, in your in your heart of hearts that you have to do this because it is the correct path you need to be on. And so, like, I've done that before at times. I mean, sometimes like I I'll question my existence and kind of like where I'm at with my life. But it's it's hard because I'm comparing myself to others. So I, I look at like my career, like my job, uh, my love life, which is shitty as shit. You know, <laughs> my residential status, like I rent an apartment Um, but I don't own a house. And then I look at my maturity level too. And so I look at things in my house and I'm like, Oh, I got these movie posters up, but I should have a fucking ladder with books and candles hanging from it. That was a gift. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, it's, it's just, it's really, really hard. And quite frankly, it's exhausting to compare myself to others, but unfortunately it's hard to stay away from that too. And I, I find myself spiraling a little bit and, and thinking about that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, that gets murky in, in defining like what being a man is, right? Like my dad was, was married by the time he's like 25 and white picket fence, all that kind of stuff. So some people might look at that as, Hey, you know, the, the dream is to have a family of five and a home and be married and have this job. And, you know, working nine to five. And that's like being an adult. It's, it's difficult at times. Like I'd love to sit here and I, and and tell you that I don't care about people's opinions, but I do see others who are 33 or even younger that are more successful than I am. And I become envious at times. It's, it's just, it is how it is. You know, 
I, I wonder if I'm kind if I'm looked at as like a loser by people sometimes, but I don't know. You know what? At the drop of a hat, I, I know I can leap into action if something comes up. If there's some thing or some issue, I know how to make those tough sacrifices that other that others might not. And that I think that makes me pretty, pretty cool. My mom thinks I'm cool. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. That was that on a shirt. <laughs> sorry sorry i had a lot i agree i do think that being a i do think that being a man or man up you know that's definitely like a a dated outdated term um i know that there were times when i felt like i wasn't fulfilling my role as a man like you know i got laid off and you know my my wife was the breadwinner and i remember being really depressed about that like i should be providing or contributing i mean i didn't care that she made more money than me it was just I need to do something to to contribute, you know, like right now I'm just standing here and I hate it and it sucks, you know. And so whether it be, uh, you know, do all the shopping, do all the cleaning, you know, things like that just to kind of make her life easier. So she's already got her own problems with work. I don't want her coming home to well, what have you done all day? <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. like there were times like that where I'm just like, fuck, let me just. I, so I got really good at cleaning. I got really good at shopping. I know where everything is in every store. And, um, you know, I had fun with it. And, you know, but I, I did struggle with, you know, what does it mean to to be a man, to be a husband, to be a partner, to be a provider. And so that was definitely a struggle for me. I didn't want I know she didn't lose any respect for me because she saw I was trying so hard. But that was still eating at me at times like, fuck, you know, like, what am I what am I doing right now? And um, I remember being really upset about that. Yeah. Uh, even though she didn't, she never said a word about it. I was creating my own. I was like literally just creating this own problem that probably didn't even exist. And it was, it was rough. Yeah. I've definitely done that in relationships or friendships where I have just compared myself to my partner or my friend and I did it too much. And I was, so negative on myself that it became a constant thing. Like with, with a girl I was dating where she was just like, you know, at first she's kind of like, no, 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 stop. Like you're, you're, you're good. Don't worry about it. Like I, she made way more money than I did. And she's like, no, it's fine. Like I'll, I'll take care of this. But after a while she got kind of tired of me complaining all the time about myself. Cause she's just like, you don't need to worry about it. And I can see how that can be an issue. So, but I mean, I did feel lesser of a quote unquote man in that situation. Cause I'm like, what am I doing? But ultimately, you know, she put, she pushed me in a direction where I needed to go because I mean, I wouldn't be in my career now, um, you know, indirectly if, if, if she didn't push me in that way. So I do thank her for that, but it, it, it it's, it's hard, man. It really kind of humbles you. And I hate borrowing money from people, but I've definitely been in a situation where I've var- I borrowed money from people and I fucking hated it. I was I felt like the, the, the gum on the bottom of your shoe and, you know, they weren't jerks about it because it was family. But I still I, I like made a promise to never borrow money from anyone unless I was I don't know, had two arms cut off and one leg cut off and I needed money but to get to Tahiti. <laughs> so. Yeah, one more job. (laughs) You know, I remember giving my best friend money. He needed money. And I I didn't think twice about it. I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. And uh, he was on his way to come see me. And I went to the bank because this was before 
fucking Venmo was a thing. <laughs> and, you know, I, I pulled out like 200 bucks and I gave it to him. And that was it. And I was like, yeah, enjoy, man. Do what you got to do. And because uh, I was under the impression that he needed it to eat or, you know, pay catch up on bills. You know, I didn't I didn't ask. And, and then I see that he is taking a girl out to like the movies and out to dinner. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute now. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't I didn't complain to him about it. Like at the time I was like. What the fuck? So <laughs> instead, I go to my good friend Dave Edmondson, and I'm like, "Dude, let me let me just throw a hypothetical out there." And I tell him the story, and he's like, "What a fucking asshole!" And he knew like right away what had happened. And so I I needed to seek out some kind of, you know, uh, like validity on it. Like, am I crazy for thinking he was a douchebag for taking my money so he could take this person out and show a good time? And I think if he would have presented it with me at the time, like, hey, I really want to impress this person or I really want this person had had it rough and I want to show them a good time. I just don't have the funds to do it. Can I borrow money? I'd have been sure. But I was under the impression because shame on me for not asking. (laughs) But I was so mad, Zach. I was I was livid. I was so just how could I have been so trusting and and just give him him this money and him just piss it away like that? I was so irritated. (laughs) Oh, I haven't I thought about you. that until this fucking <laughs> Sorry. podcast. Sorry. No, no, you no. Bl- it's you can blame Christian Bale and and, and uh, whatever his name is, Russell Crowe. <laughs> sure, Ben Wade. And yeah. the thing is, like, the two, uh, you know, uh, Christian Bale's character is trying to, you know, pass on a legacy to his children. You know, he doesn't want to be this loser father. He wants to show that he's a good man, an honest man, a hardworking man, and would do anything for his family, which is what he was, but their perception was not. So, I mean, I'm arguing about $200. that doesn't mean a whole lot. It just really irritated me. <laughs> and it bothered me. I'm like, man, this motherfucker. But, um, you know, I, I don't have kids. I really want them and I hope that they look up to me and I want them to be able to tell me anything and I want to be able to do anything for them to to give them the tools that they need to be successful. But, you know, I know that I had a really good relationship with my father for the longest time. I thought he was the smartest man in the world. I thought he was the coolest man in the world. I used to wear his fucking jacket in high school because I thought he was such a badass. You know, he was like Donnie Brasco. He was this fucking awesome dude that just got in fights. <laughs> and he was this tough man. And and he smoked and he was cool. And everything about him. He knew that fucking everything. My dad was a walking Google machine. He knew the answer to everything. And then, you know, uh, alcohol and pills and addiction got in the way of that. And it it it's a shame because I thought my dad was the coolest fucking human being on the planet. I thought he was fucking Fonzie from from happy days and uh it just shows how powerful you know perception can be like it he has made a lot of mistakes and he said and done a lot of things and yeah i still love him but the fucking man irritates me to no end and just makes my skin crawl and just thinking about him upsets me but i just i know that at the end of the day when he needs me i'm gonna fucking be there and i'm gonna be irritated and i'm gonna do what he needs me to do but i will always have the memories that I had when I was a kid of how, how cool he was, how he was walking tall, he could kick anyone's ass, and he knew everything. Uh, and that's that's a beautiful thing. That's the dad that I'm choosing to remember versus the fucking struggle bus that just makes me want to smash my head against the wall every time I think about him. <laughs> so I have that going for me, I suppose. 
Yeah. I mean, he's passing on character to his kids. Yeah. Uh, to, to, to William, the oldest, who's who's going. He's at that ripe age of 14 where, you know, he's now the man of the house. And, he knows everything. And he knows that his dad did something noble. And I, I mean, I, I wanted him to take that picture out of the Bible, too, that, that Wade drew. Because I wanted to mm. see that, uh, like, you know, that was his memento of a warrior right before battle, basically. But I agree with you, man. It's uh, the lasting legacy means a lot. I I, I know I want to have an impression on my kids and I want them to be like, our mom says our dad is a sex machine. <laughs> right. <laughs> my dad doesn't do anything since the crash. <laughs> oh, that's a good one, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what does the one kid say? He's like, mom's divorced. Dad's divorced. <laughs> Something. <laughs> He's a fetter. Oh, <laughs> Can you go ahead and cop? Who did we say was the the wife is somebody? Penelope we Ann Miller. About. Penelope Ann Miller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's That's gorgeous. From, yeah, uh, Adventures in Babysitting. Yeah. <laughs> she, when she loses her glasses, get stolen by the homeless lady. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she wants the hot dog when she's got the check for five dollars. Yeah. Oh god, <laughs> it's a check. <laughs> it's so stupid. No, it's easy. You know, Chris I, Chris wants to press on nails, so I bought him, and then, you know, she paid me back in the difference, and blah, blah, blah. So stupid. Oh, my goodness. Honestly. That's another movie I love talking about. Adventures of Babysitting. Can't get <laughs> it's rumor, it. been rumors about me, kid. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> on Geek Legacy, we talk about Roger Rabbit all the time on this podcast, talking about Adventures of Babysitting. Love it. <laughs> oh, what can you do? Now, the ending is a bit on the somber side, uh, but it's nice to know that William now respects his father and looks up to him, and Ben Wade will soon be off on another adventure. Were you happy with this ending, or would you have preferred something a little different? Maybe like the the original ending, where they both get on the train. Uh, you know, at first, when I saw it in like 2007, I didn't, I didn't like that ending because I still wanted the hero to ride off into the sunset and Christian Bale did everything he needed to do. It's like, why can't he win? Right. But then when I saw it recently, I thought about it and I absolutely loved it. Um, I mean, but that's kind of what makes a Western different. It's unconventional. Uh, at least these more, I don't know, modern ones, maybe from like the modern the ones, the eighties. Yeah. The eighties on, right. We always don't, we don't see the hero riding off into the sunset with, with the gal or whatever. Uh, this was cool because it was all about honor and pride and and your legacy, like what how important a legacy is, because this is, you know, the 19th century and all we don't have. We don't really have uh, I think they have cameras, but we don't have um, like recording cameras and such. You know, we just have word of mouth and books. And so the legacy that you can check leave, them out. <laughs> yeah, check them out. Books. Check them out. The uh, at your local library, the, you know, word of mouth and all that kind of stuff is so great. And and, and what you can leave behind is, is absolutely beautiful. And so I don't know, man, in the West, sometimes that's what that people. The only thing they had were their names. Right. So like, oh, Dan Evans, he's a mighty fine man. I worked with him back in 62 for when I transported Ben Wade. Right. You know, like everyone in town knew who Ben Wade was. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. It's like right. your reputation precedes itself, right? Yeah. You are your name. That's all you have. That's, uh, you know, I was thinking about it. Uh, my dad would have got Ben Wade on that train. He's a, he's a tough bastard. Yeah. He could have done it. Now that I think about it. 
um, you know, I I think I'm with you. I I I prefer a happy ending. You know, <laughs> of course you. I do. had my if I had my way, fucking the horse would have never gotten the quicksand and never ending story, and it just, he would have done what he needed to do, and the story would have ended. <laughs> <laughs> Problem solved. But yeah. uh, I I don't like uh, sadness in the motion picture shows. It makes me. I like I like crying in movies, but I like it to be a happy crying, like a Lord of the Rings. You bow to no one, okay? I'll oh cry. my god! Like Rudy getting carried <laughs> off the field, kind of cry, or like Miracle winning the Olympics, and 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 stuff like that. Like I can cry all day long in a, in a good way. I just hate it when it's a sad cry. That breaks my heart. Yeah. So, oh well, what can you do? Are you, uh, are there any westerns on the horizon that we are looking forward to? I couldn't think of any. I mean, I really want to watch. So I, I actually searched the um, top Westerns of all time. Do you know what number one is? And this was according to, well, let me just find the article. But um, the number one Western of all time. Yeah, it's like 98% no on Rotten Tomatoes. This is according, according I mean, I would think that Unforgiven would be pretty high up there. It's pretty high okay. up there. Um, I really like Blazing Saddles a lot, too. And that's that's awesome because it's obviously, you know, a farce of the Westerns, but it takes a lot of the same elements. But uh, here I'll go from five to one. So five is McCabe and Mrs. Miller from 1971, I guess. Uh, number four is Stagecoach from 1939. Number three is Once Upon a Time in the West. Uh, is that John Wayne? Uh, which one? Once Upon a Time John in the Wayne West? John Wayne and Stagecoach? Um, yes, no, John Wayne. Coach. Yeah, John Wayne is in Stagecoach. He's he's the, the Ringo kid. So that one is number four. Uh, number three is Once Upon a Time in the West, 1968. Uh, all these are available on Amazon Prime, which is kind of cool. Uh, Unforgiven is number two, actually. That is interesting. Yeah, I really I like that. It. And then number one, and uh, I, just because I've studied this in, in like film class and stuff, The Searchers. Uh, John Wayne. It's a John oh, yeah. Wayne film, but yeah, John Ford directed it. It's like one of the best westerns of all time on on everyone's list, pretty much. It's on HBO sure. Max too. But, it was hard uh, to get your hands on. It was hard to get your hands on for the longest time. Exactly. Because um, it's it's uh, like a girl gets kidnapped by like Native Americans or something like that, right? And then they go uh, looking for her. Yeah, yeah. yeah That's John like Wayne, my dad's favorite movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's yeah. very, it's very wide. He uses wide angle lenses and stuff, and so it's just, you know, it, it you really feel the vastness of uh, Arizona or wherever they are. I'm sure it's Arizona, but pretty, pretty remarkable stuff. So that's probably that's probably what I'm gonna watch. Um, but in terms of like, I mean, you know, we both love Django, like we were saying. Uh, my darling Clementine Young wasn't too, too bad. Young guns and Young guns <laughs> too. Uh, the cream will make you famous. Yeah, I'll watch that one too. I'll watch that one. I haven't seen it in a long time. Spirit World. After you watch Young Guns, I guarantee you're gonna say Spirit World. <laughs> Why? Like and you might even throw in a Navajo. <laughs> you might say that too. <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah. Um, Young Guns. So good. <laughs> do you want to hear so i don't have anything else to say about 310 to Yuma unless you do no do, I mean, do you want to give it a grade what do you let, let a grade do you yeah 
Yeah. Um, so I actually really like this movie a lot. So I'm going to give it um, an A minus. Um, I really enjoyed it. I was glad that I purchased it. Uh, it is available on Peacock. Uh, if you have Xfinity, you get Peacock for free. What'd you call me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Peacock. You got to let me fly. So, yeah, you can watch it on there with ads, but I, I purchased it on Vudu and I think it was like five bucks. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. So what about you? Yeah, I probably get a B plus. I enjoy it. it it's a, uh, it's hard for me to enjoy westerns, but the, I mean, I say after I name like ten of them, I, I yeah, <laughs> out of the ten thousand that have been made, I enjoy ten. So I mean, there you go. It's a numbers game. They're losing, and so um, this is one that I would chalk in the win column. I definitely enjoy this motion picture show. Cool. So what is your um, list? This top so five that you want? I no. So I, I found a, a cool thread on Reddit and it says, what fan theory do you 100% accept as true? And I'm just going to read you a couple because I want to get your thoughts on it. So the town from Footloose is the same town from Tremors. The ban on dancing wasn't a puritanical attempt uh, to control the youth. The town elders were aware of the graboid threat and banned dancing out of the fear that it would cause rhythmic vibrations, waking up the creatures sleeping below the town. Kevin Bacon's character in Footloose stayed in the town, growing up to be his character in Tremors, at which point he has to try and contain the danger he inadvertently released. <laughs> Do you believe in that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. No, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a nice thought, but I don't think so. What's the name of the town in in Tremors again? Uh, fuck, it's, I don't. Like, I don't know. It's like paradise, but it's not. It's it's something like that. Perfection, town of perfection. Graboid ice. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I forget. Um, Doesn't matter. So I'll summarize this one. So this one's from Star Wars, but basically the theory is that the kyber crystals in Luke's green lightsaber are the same one from Qui-Gon Jinn's. After Kenobi defeats Darth Maul with his master's lightsaber, he would have kept it as a keepsake despite rebuilding his own saber. It's likely he would have uh, retrieved it and kept it with him after the Order 66 attack. And then after the Empire takes over, they destroy all artifacts and memory of the Jedi in their purge of changing the history. And most kyber crystals go towards powering the Death Star. Because of this, any lightsaber crystal would have been very difficult for Luke to find after he loses the Skywalker saber. But we know he returns a Tatooine to complete his new lightsaber, likely returning to Ben Kenobi's home for the components where he would have found Qui-Gon Jinn's lightsaber and recycled its kyber crystal. How about that? What do you think about that, huh? Do you, do you think that Luke's oh, Luke's sure. actual lightsaber was Qui-Gon's? I don't think so. I think it was just, hey, we have technology to make a green lightsaber, so let's <laughs> fucking do it. <laughs> Fine. I want you to suspend disbelief, please. All right. Here, here's a good one. Okay, so, yeah, I believe it. I think it's 100% true. <laughs> so James Bond's primary purpose is to be a distraction to keep attention off of the spies who actually spy. So villains and other spies know him. He... <laughs> He, he rarely takes an alias. He makes his presence known early on and keeps messing up operations for the villains. But the other spies have already infiltrated their ranks and work while Bond does as much visible damage as possible to keep the others safe. He introduces himself. He <laughs> gives out his fucking social security number. He's got like, he tells him his key to his house is under the mat. Like he does everything he can to let them know that he's in town. Like, he is the worst. Uh, yeah, so, um, and then finally, uh, King of the Hill. It's like, don't mind me, just doing undercover secret <laughs> spy shit right now, no big deal. With my back turned, hope no one shoots me right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, you'll appreciate this one, maybe. But this one's from King of the Hill. So Dale knew about Nancy and John Redcorn, but feigned ignorance, both to keep his home life stable and because he knew Joseph would be raised as a, as his son rather than Redcorn's. What do you think about that? Do you think that, that Dale knew the entire time? I don't think that he knows. Cheating? Really? No. You just think he's that dumb? <laughs> no, I, I think he's... How thick could you get? <laughs> I, I know. Yeah, no, he's... He is not aware of what is happening. I I I honestly believe that uh, he is unaware. I think that he is convinced that it was uh, aliens that impregnated Nancy with his sperm. <laughs> yeah, that makes that makes good sense. Anyway, I mean, while it is painfully obvious from like the very, I think this it might be the second episode that you see Joseph. But like, uh, it is painfully obvious when you see John Redcorn and you see Joseph. And you're like, yeah, okay, here we go. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's something to be said about that. And I like it when they like all just plead ignorance. Or Bill's like, I can't believe it. Nancy and Dale have a fairy book marriage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's awesome. Rusty Shackleford. Yeah, I mean, I. I think that I think that it's a good thing that he doesn't know. It would break his heart. Dale is actually very, very sensitive, and in uh, in a good way. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being sensitive. I think that he is. I think that he is is this emotional sweetheart. He acts cool all the time, you know, and stand there smoking in the alley. But when it comes to his family uh, and his friends, I think that. Uh, it is a good thing that he is uh, blissfully ignorant of the situation. Right. I agree. So that's it, man. I just thought it was funny. Thought of you when I was reading it. Cause thought you'd, you'd laugh. But. I like all those things. I laughed. I know. <laughs> you know, I've only ever seen the very first tremors. I've never seen any of the other ones. I, uh, actually the very first tremors I saw was tremors Two, with uh, Fred, <laughs> Fred Ward or whatever. Not Fred Ward, but Fred, you know, that guy, um, See, he Fred was in, Ward's a, in Tremors. Yeah, so there we go. Fred Ward is in the second Tremors too. It's it's not Kevin Bacon though. It's the military guy too, with like the mustache and he always wears the camo hat. I forgot mm-hmm. his name, but that one's true. So that that one, the graboids aren't like worms. They evolve. Bert, in, I think Bert. Yeah, they evolve into little like crawling. Michael things. Gross. They can run on two feet. They're bipedal, and so it's uh pretty. It was pretty gnarly, dude. Like. The blood was real gory because I think I saw this movie around the same time I saw Starship Troopers. And so it just gave me nightmares. Both of those creatures like terrified me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Michael Gross. He was the dad in Family Ties. That's Bert. Ah, OK. There we go. All right. Uh, well, I guess that's it. Do you want to take us out? Sure. So thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Uh, remember to follow us at Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us, and we will discuss them on our show. Uh, so my friend Jeff Litwin, he told me about 310 to Yuma. I mean, he recommended it, so thank you very much. Uh, maybe we just need to stick on this on this cowboy train and do Young Guns next, and then maybe a little Silverado after that. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? If I have enough time. <laughs> Um, have you, you seen Silverado? <laughs> I, I haven't. I haven't. But I, uh, I, I actually would like to watch Young Guns. So, um, yeah, please, you know, share all those ideas with us. Uh, please also be sure to check out the amazing Geek Legacy podcast with Dave, Randy, and Justin. Uh, a lot of fun. 
I did not catch last week's episode, I think. Or maybe I did and I just listened to it so quick because I was laughing so much. And then also check out the Pixelated podcast with Stephen K. Jaynes and Justin. They talk about video games and all that stuff. Two very smart fellas. So all that we ask is please don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. <laughs>